Hey y'all! Welcome to Cross Politics. We got Keith back with us. Chuck Knox, uh, Pastor Toby. You know he's doing his thing. Uh, Pastor, the Water Boys here. We also got on the line with us David Fowler. Whenever, whenever you got a problem with the Constitution or need to understand the Constitution a little better, or there's a SCOTUS ruling that impacts the Constitution. Who are you going to call? I, I call whenever I just wake up. David Fowler, who are you going to call? David, David Fowler, Fowler, who are you going to call? You know? Yeah, that's... Uh, for those... I, I, I can't I hear you. Say, I call Jeff Schaefer. <laughs> <laughs> David Fowler is the president of the Family Action Council of Tennessee. Fact. And is the author of The Politics of Loving God, Courageous Truths for Contentious Times, and Recovering the Constitution Using the Ninth Amendment to Restore Civil Liberty. That Ooh. needs to be in everyone's high school curriculum and above. Uh, His yeah. newest book Every is The office. Naked Court, Understanding the Resisting a Damnable United States Supreme Court. Oh, were they so damnable today? We'll talk about that. For a limited time, actually, I don't know, can you download Naked Court anymore? That's the last note I have. Uh, no, I tell you what, I'll I'll put it back up. If somebody will send us the email, or I'll send it to y'all, whatever. But okay. send an email to info at factennessee.org. And okay, I'll send good. It to them. So yeah. if you want a copy of the Naked Court, email info at fact fact dot dot uh, com. Factennessee dot org. Well, you can go factn dot org or fac tennessee.org either okay. one info at yeah. there you go yeah. i keep it easy for you hey david thanks for coming back on cross baltic man really appreciate you sure. yeah so the supreme court uh today ruled in favor that they have that new york case yes right. um that ruled in favor of gun owners right um yeah. Here goes, here goes the first sentence of the syllabus from the ruling. It says, The state of New York makes it a crime to possess a firearm without a license, whether inside or outside of the home. Individuals who want to carry a firearm outside of his home may obtain an unrestricted license to have and carry a concealed pistol revolver if he can prove that the proper cause exists for doing so. That's crazy. <laughs> SCOTUS, three SCOTUS voted against that. Yeah, so... David, you now the, go ahead. I was going to say, well, you know, I think it's great that we have rights if we can justify to the Supreme Court that we need them. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, real for real. But so uh, Clarence Thomas writes the opinion of the court, and as I'm, re I was reading it, and as I was reading it, you called me. Yeah, yeah, I, I got so excited I didn't get past page five or six, man. So. <laughs> Oh, I got no. called. I got called Knox. Oh no! But could, could you take us through kind of this whole situation? What happened and um, Clarence Thomas's rule of uh, uh, opinion on this? Yeah, 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 yeah. What's What's the exciting though is you know that it had six justices all sign on to his opinion. Okay, wow. so that's that's important because mm. you could have five. Like Dobbs might come out with five, and then. Justice Roberts somewhere over in the middle trying to paddle along, you know, and then the three dissenters. Uh -huh. uh, we've had cases that have been, uh, you know, really split up. There are five that agree on the judgment, you know, who wins. But three are on one side of an opinion and a rationale, and maybe three are on another side, and six of them agree on little bits and pieces. Uh, sort of like if you take a biblical hermeneutics, we'll all agree that Jesus wept. We'll all agree that in the Bible. <laughs> 
But then every other verse around it, we're not real sure what to think about that, right? Yeah. So, so the, this sometimes was a court test. So, um, the, the interesting thing to me, the most interesting thing, the thing that made me stop reading and and call uh, Knox was uh, buried in a footnote, and um, and Clarence Thomas is a smart guy, and he's been <laughs> yapping about some things over a long period of time, right. and. And sometimes what happens is the court will stick something in a footnote because it's going to use it later. You remember when Jeff Schaefer met with y'all and he talked about this case called Eisenstadt in 1972 yep. prior to Roe versus Wade. And he said they stuck something in a footnote in Eisenstadt case, which was dealing with the board of patients to help them in the next case coming up in 1973, right? So so a good lawyer will not just read the opinion and say, oh, we won, we won the gun right case. They'll also read the footnotes because they may be sending a signal of what they want to do. Mm. And because all six people agreed with the opinion, they were agreeing with the footnote. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Now, let me just tell you what the footnote is. And, and, and before I do, let me tell you why. To me, it was so important why I, why I hung up the phone or dropped the phone, I guess, if I was a cool dude, uh, is because one of the things that has killed conservatives over the last 50 years has been this doctrine of stare decisis. Yep, that's right. Whatever we've decided, it stands. Right. And unless you can really prove we messed it up, we're just going right. to keep doing the wrong thing over and over and over. The, the other thing that's messed us up is this doctrine of judicial supremacy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where when I make a decision involving a case between, you know, Gabe and Keith, that becomes the law of the land as if the court can make a law. As if that's now equal to the Constitution. We've been doing that since 1958 on steroids. Okay. Mm-hmm. Those two things are terrible. Okay. And Clarence Thomas, in my view, hit both of them in in footnote number six in the opinion. And it's consistent with what he's been harping on in his concurring opinions. Mm. Now, let me just help your listeners understand that or your viewers. If it's I know it's painful for them to watch my face. But anyway, here's here's the point is, <laughs> is that sometimes you'll decide a case. And, and Thomas would write a concurring opinion and say, well, yeah, I agree with all that. But I also want to say, this isn't right either. We need to fix this too, okay? So he has said, I think the way we apply stare decisis is actually unconstitutional. It's a violation wow. of our oath. And the courts have been talking about, particularly Clarence Thomas and Gorsuch, about we we're deciding things and letting lower courts decide things that that go outside the courtroom. Mm. We're only here to decide the lawsuit between Gabe and Keith, and that may or may not be the same thing we would decide in a lawsuit that's similar between Knox and David Fowler. Mm. But, but we just treat it as if that's the law for everybody. Okay, so here's what he says. You you, you got time for me to read it? No, please, please. Yeah, yeah, okay. So he hits the dissenting opinion, the three justices, and he claims that the text and history test that the majority just applied will prove unworkable. Okay, now let me explain that to your listeners. The text and history approach is, well, here are the words in the Constitution. Now let's look at the history 
behind those words, which is found in the common law, which Jeff and I, Schaefer and I have talked about a lot. We got to get back to the common law. Got to get back to the common law. And, and so in this case, as I'm reading along, he's talking about, let's look at the history of the common law going back hundreds of years. And we all know what this right to bear and possess arms was dealing with. And part of it is your self-defense, not just when you think, you know, Jane's revenge is going to come after you, but just walking down the street, I need to be able to protect myself. Right. Mm-hmm. And so the dissent is saying this history text and history tests will prove unworkable compared to, well, what are the means that you're using and what is the end? And, you know, the government's really trying to make sure that, that you're not using guns you shouldn't use and we're protecting all the people by making sure Gabe can't really get a gun. And, and, and they wanted to apply that test. And the reason is, he goes on, because judges, this is what the dissent said, are relatively ill-equipped to resolve difficult historical questions or engage in searching historical surveys. Mm. So, in other words, he's saying, uh, the dissent is saying, we can't understand the whole history of the world and know the whole history of the world that must lie behind everything. So uh, this is an an impossible test. We just have to imply practical, prudent, uh, ends justify the means test. Thomas says, we're unpersuaded. Then he says this, this is where I got really excited. And and, and then I started dropping the phone and called. (laughs) The job of judges is not to resolve historical questions in the abstract. We're not over here pontificating about the whole history of the world relative to how, you know, whatever. He says, we're resolving legal questions Mm. presented in particular cases or controversies. Now, that's the critical language. This is where I just started getting really excited and started quivering. Because the term particular, the term cases and controversies is, is how the judicial power of the federal judiciary is defined. They only have the power to exercise a judgment in particular cases or controversies. So see, this goes back to the point that I'm going to resolve the particular case or controversy between Gabe and Keith, but that has nothing to do with me or Gabe. Uh We're not part of that particular case or controversy. So he's shrinking the judicial power back to say, we're just deciding a legal question for particular people. Mm-hmm. We're not making the law for all the people. We're just trying to decide whether Gabe or Keith wins. Which is why Roe v. Wade, um, even, then, right. we, even then it wasn't law. They were deciding the case between particular people, but it became law. That's right. We treated it as conservatives because we are legal positivists. We don't long, no longer believe in the common law, which is the point of the naked court book. The Supreme Court said, ah, there isn't any common law that precedes the laws of men. The common law is now just made by the government. Well, that's not the right common law. So what's really irritating liberals in this case is the court is using an understanding of law that precedes the words in the Constitution. And if you'll notice in that early part, the first five pages, he's talking about the Second Amendment is not granting a right. It's securing a right that already existed. That's wow. right. Pre, yep. that's, the, that's the point of the Ninth Amendment. We have other rights that already exist, and don't you construe the rights we've enumerated to deny or disparage them. 
Okay, now let me keep going. So he says, in other words, we're just deciding a legal question between particular parties and, and he's shrinking the judicial power back into the courtroom. He's not letting it spread all over the whole country. Mm-hmm. That's what we as conservatives and Christians have bought into is that what they do in the courtroom is like oil in, in, in the bowl of water. It just spreads over the whole country and that's the law. And that's not what we do. We don't have, we don't have jurisdictional authority to do that. We're limited to particular cases or controversies. And then he says, now, now how are we going to respond to this complaint that we can't know the whole history of the world? But he says that legal inquiry about history is a refined subset of a broader historical inquiry. So in other words, when I'm in the courtroom and I'm trying to decide what is the right to bear arms, I'm not trying to decide the whole history of the common law relative to everything that the common law talked about. I'm just, it's, I'm dealing with a broader subset of that history, right? And it relies on various evidentiary principles and default rules to resolve uncertainties. So he's getting back to the way the whole common law sort of worked in the legal system is that, that we have rules to help us construe things. So, for example, just like in biblical hermeneutics, we would say, well, we have a rule that if this word or this phrase is used in Isaiah and then it's used over in the book of Revelation or the book of Hebrews, it's probably all meaning the same thing. Right. Now, those are what he means by default rules. And then he says this. Now my hands are getting like this. Are you catching the spirit? I, I'm catching it, right? And, and I'm Presbyterian, so we don't even do that. But for, just kidding. For example, and he quotes a case from 2020. So see, he's bringing this current. He said, for example, in our adversarial system of adjudication, so I'm representing Keith and somebody's representing, you know, Jeff's re- representing Gabe and uh, Keith, I'm sorry about your comparative lack of representation compared to Jeff, but anyway. He says, in our system, we follow the principle of party presentation. Mm. Now, he's not talking about, you know, um, MasterChef and how does it look on the plate when he says party presentation. He's really talking about how they present the case. And, And here's the next sentence that at that point, the phone dropped out of my hand. I had to pick it up and call them. Courts are thus entitled to decide a case based on the historical record compiled by the parties. Mm. Now, when you stop and think about that, what he's saying is because I'm only deciding this particular case, I have to rely on the record and the historical record that that's put into the record. So, so mm. here's what happened. Texas goes into the row case and, and they never put in the common law understanding of persons, which included the child in the mother's womb. They just don't put it in. And so the Supreme court says, well, based on the historical record I got here, it looks like Ms. Rowe wins. Oh. Immediately, the state of Tennessee and Ohio and everybody else says, what? That was all you put in? <laughs> well, why didn't you put in all this common law stuff that Schaefer and Fowler and Adam McLeod and John Finnis and Robert George have been talking about in this Dobbs case? Why didn't you put all that in? Yeah, we didn't know about it, I guess. I don't know. Well, great. Okay. I don't know. Whatever reason you didn't put it in, maybe you didn't think you needed it. Maybe you didn't know about it. 
But I have the right to say I'm still going to defend my law. Why? Because the Supreme Court didn't decide anything about Tennessee's law or Ohio's law. It decided something about Jane Roe in Texas. Mm. And that's all it can decide. Its power can't go outside the court. But because we bought judicial supremacy, we thought it applied to everybody. And we didn't look closely at the record to say, what argument did you guys not make in Texas that I would make? What evidence would you have I put in the record? You didn't put in the record. I've got, I can make a better case. I'm going to defend my law. Come sue me, Planned Parenthood. I'm going to put all this stuff Fowler and Schaefer and Robbie George and John Finister talking about in the record. And I'm going to show you that at common law, there, you can find no historical record that the unborn were never treated as persons. Mm. I'm going to put in the historical record that shows that they were treated as persons. And the court can then say, well, gosh, I decided that Texas case last week. This is theoretical because, you know, they wouldn't hear another case on the same point the next week. But let's say two years later, I've, I've submitted a request to hear a case and the Supreme Court reads it and they go, oh, my goodness, look at all this historical information that was never in front of us. We need to hear this case. We need to reverse this case, this old case, because we got a better record. We, we, we made a mistake. Under the old way, they would have said, start decisis, let things stand. Oh, we're not going to look at it. But but Clarence Thomas is saying, if we, if we get a case the next year that has a better historical record that shows we messed up, we can take that case and we can reverse the old case because we're not making law for the whole nation not like we're rewriting the constitution a year or two later interesting we're just deciding well now that tennessee is defended with this historical record it's clear we didn't have enough facts in front of us before to decide the case to understand what the words mean because you didn't give me the common law history of the words because you don't even think in common law concepts but the guys over here in Tennessee, they think in terms of common law concepts, and they gave me a record, and based on that record, Tennessee wins, and Jane Roe loses. I mean, this is critical, friends, right here. That's incredible. And, and what this means is states don't have to pass constitutional amendments to prevent their state courts from finding a right to abortion in the state constitution. And that's exactly what's going to happen after Dobbs. Yeah. Is the liberals are going to go and say, hey, Idaho, uh, Ohio, Tennessee's law, mm -hmm. uh, whatever else it is, uh, it, it violates um, the state constitution. But if the state will say, fine, make that argument, I'm going to put in this historical record and I'm going to substantiate that actually our law protecting fetal life is upholding our oath to uphold the U.S. Constitution because the common law makes it clear that the unborn are persons and there can be no state law that denies persons equal protection or due process of law. So come on, pro-aborts, make your state constitutional argument because if you win, I'm going to appeal to the U.S. Supreme Court on the grounds that this is a federal issue, not a state issue. And I'm going to make you prove that the common law never considered the unborn persons. I don't think, I don't think the liberals will want to go that route. But if they go in the federal courts, 
and they try to argue, well, this is some amorphous right found in the Ninth Amendment, they're going to run into trouble. Because why? They're going to have to put in a common law record themselves, which they can't find. But the Supreme Court will then be forced to decide what a person is. Mm. Because that's the only issue you've presented. I'm upholding the 14th Amendment and the 9th and the 10th because the common law, the text in history, shows that persons are the unborn. And the liberals don't want to put that question in front of the Supreme Court until they have the votes to do it. Yep, that's right. That's right. <sighs> that, that'll, that'll turn everything over forever. Well, until, would, until you get a new Supreme Court that's liberal and they challenge it again. and Yeah, but, but see, I've already got these precedents out here. Yeah. And here's the whole yeah. point. The court has 100, 200 years of precedents mm -hmm. that say the Constitution is supposed to be interpreted by the common law. So if all of a sudden they want to overthrow all of those, then there's no meaning for the words in the Constitution because there's nothing historical to even find in them. We're in decon constitutional deconstruction, right? Well, yeah, that's right. And that's actually, that, that's yeah. kind of what I'm a little afraid of because we are in this postmodern revolution right now that's happening that they wouldn't mind taking that play because they're not, they, they, that's what they really want at the end of the day. They want to say these words have no meaning and we give them whatever meaning we want. Yes. But if they're going to do that, they're going to have to reverse 200 years worth of precedence. Mm. And, and don't you think they're willing to do that though? Uh, like they're, they're essentially revolutionaries, I, I would say. And yeah. I feel like their whole MO is we have to, we have to overturn what's been structured or constructed over the last 200 years. I, you know, I think they would, but but here's what I'm trying to suggest to the states is it's not a question of whether the Ninth Amendment will at some point be interpreted. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The question is, who's going to interpret it mm -hmm. when? That's right. And I would rather conservatives make the case for it now mm -hmm. with the justices we have and put the lid on the Ninth Amendment by arguing what, what I argued in the brief I gave to the Supreme Court in Dobbs that the, the Ninth Amendment, by its very language, is not a fountain of rights for courts to just dip like a well in the bucket and pull out, oh, there's a right to this. The very word says in the Ninth Amendment, the enumeration shall not be construed to deny or disparage. Hmm. In other words, the Ninth Amendment is not about granting some plethora of unknown, undefinable rights, but it's about a rule of construction. It's saying, this is how you construe the Constitution. If you don't construe it according to the common law, mm. then there are no rights and there can be no other rights. That was the founders' hedge against judges who would just make things up that were contrary to common law. So my argument is, with respect to the Ninth Amendment, if they went in and argued, no, the word person, persons, not all persons have a right to life. Well, I would say, well, you just construed the 14th Amendment or whatever it is to deny or disparage a common law right. And the Ninth Amendment prohibits that construction. Mm -hmm. That interpretation by its very language. And look, if the court's going to do that, all bets are off and we've lost. We're down the tubes anyway, right? Mm -hmm. 
But the point is we have a court and through this amendment, they're signaling to us, start making your case based on the historical common law record and make a good one in front of me and we'll rule your right way. That's why the Marital Contract Recording Act is important. It's mm. saying there is an understanding of marriage that's rooted in the common law, has nothing to do with statutes. And men and women have been entering into these marital contracts from essentially the beginning of time. And we're going to put that historical record in there and dare you to say a state can't do it. So, so David, if I'm attorney general and I'm right. listening to you right now, yeah. what do I need to do? Call me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. All right. No. Seriously. No, no. You know, actually, if, if I were, I'd say, look, why don't you get the briefs that, that Fowler and Jeff Schaefer, Adam McLeod and John Finnis filed read the ninth amendment book and then make your argument based on that. Just make it clear to everybody. You, you won't come get me. You won't come get my state's abortion law. Fine. This is what I'm going to argue. Think about it. Or maybe rope a dope, let them sue and then throw that argument out mm-hmm. and have them say, I, you know, I might dismiss this case. I don't know if I, I got enough justices to win. I got six justices that, that just signed on to what Fowler just read. Mm. I don't have a historical record ever. Find me the historical record that the common law ever considered marriage as existing between two people of the same sex. I dare you find it. I, you know, if you can find it, praise God for you, right? Yeah. It isn't there. So, so help me with something. Cause Dave, you were the first person after um, we got the leak of the over of Dobbs versus Jackson. Uh, we right. got the leak of that. You were the first person I heard who said, okay, their next play is going to be to try and solidify this in Congress. That's where I would go because they didn't define a person. They didn't. So that's where you would go. And man, you were dead right. That's exactly what they tried to do. They were trying to even, even. So let's say that that does happen. Does this play still work? Oh, absolutely. I I mean, what, what, what I would do if I was a state official is that I would, I would find a way to sue over the federal law and i would argue one is a violation of the principle of, of dual sovereigns now you got a little bit of problem because the section five of the 14th amendment does say congress has the power to enforce the 14th amendment's rights but what i would do is i would sue and i would say congress cannot provide a historical record in my lawsuit because i'm going to make a good record to show that the unborn have never been treated under the common law as persons and never been treated as persons under the state law. And in fact, I'm going to put in the record that shows that they have. And by the way, court, while you're at it, I'm going to cite to Roe versus Wade, which said that the unborn have been treated for other purposes at law as persons. For example, guardian ad litems are appointed to protect their property rights. And I'd say, so see, the Supreme Court already knows, Mm. according to Roe versus Wade, that the unborn are often treated as persons in law and at the common law. So go ahead and make that argument, Congress. I'll tell my attorney general, if he's got the guts to do it, go sue over it. Mm. I I assure you, Texas will sue over it, right? Mm. Hope so. And and so the Supreme Court, I, I think what, now I could be wrong. You know, I didn't get some lightning bolt telegram from God today, 
But I think this footnote is setting up something. If nothing else, it's setting up the Dobbs decision. Why? Yeah. Yeah. We already yeah. know. Yeah. That's right. I felt, the historical I felt that. record in yep. Dobbs was horrible. Yep. I mean, yep. in Rome, horrible. Uh-huh. Yep. I, I 100% felt that. Yep. Oh, man. Dave, this is interesting. This is intriguing, man. I, I'm I'm grateful <laughs> there's somebody who's a serious, serious nerd yeah. who is watching, no, going through all of these. I, I was reading it, and I was looking for when we were talking. I was looking for it, and it's like I didn't read the stuff you were reading. The What, what do you call them? The footnotes. footnotes. Yeah, those things. <laughs> yeah. I, I yeah, those can often be, that can be the killer. That's how I find out what to read. You know, I look at, I find something and I see a footnote and I keep seeing the same thing cited over. I thought I got to buy that book. So the footnotes are always critical because a lot of times they're not only helping further explain what's in the text, they may be sending a signal about where they're going. And I think this one sets up, don't be surprised if you don't see this referenced in the Dobbs opinion. Mm. Not, I'm not saying I know that. Yeah. And, and if that happens, somebody will accuse me of getting a leak, but I'm just being a lawyer is reading stuff. Yeah. Did, did when you, I, you know, they, ex, they allowed for another day of decisions. So that tomorrow, I was going to ask about that. Yeah. 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 So do uh-huh. you think that Dobbs might come tomorrow and what do you think is the delay on it? Well, um, no, I, I, I don't know that it'll come tomorrow. Although, um, I will tell you this. This is a little side story. When Tennessee's Supreme Court found a right to abortion in the state constitution, they didn't release the opinion until late on a Friday afternoon before the Florida-Tennessee game. (laughs) And and it didn't make the news till Saturday, and everybody's watching TV or at Neyland Stadium, right? So so they might release it on Friday. But that's not going to – that would only delay the news cycle a little bit. But today, with the news cycles on – you know, the, the internet and online stuff. Cross politic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, by 10 o'clock it comes out and it's going to be up, you know, somewhere by, by 10, 15, yeah. you know, with more information to come. So I don't, I, I think that they were, my guess is it was kind of like, we need to issue a few other things to help build the case. Maybe uh-huh. job. that's what it feels like. You, you couldn't have referred to this footnote, for example, in Dobbs, had it been released a month ago. Right. Now, I'm going to tell you one other little thing that'll scare you all to death. Because y'all are in media, right? And you're, you're constantly defaming people. <laughs> uh, but, but, but seriously, there's a case pending, uh, a writ of certiorari, <laughs> in a case involving D. James Kennedy and Coral Ridge Ministries, yeah. where they sued Southern Poverty Law Center and Amazon for defamation. And the Supreme Court back in 1964, 67 said, well, unless you can prove somebody had actual malice and they really intended to damage you. Uh, for instance, you saying David Fowler is a better lawyer than Jeff Schaefer. That's a blatantly false statement. <laughs> but, but because I'm a public figure and Jeff's a public figure, uh, you can do it, right? So um, they've asked for the court to revisit that and say, you started out by applying it only to government officials so that, you know, we need to know about government officials, but we don't need anybody lying about cross politics or lying about D James Kennedy and getting away with it because they're public figures. So we submitted at the request of D James Kennedy, a ninth amendment brief that said, 
if you construe the freedom of the press and the freedom of speech to deny or disparage the fundamental right to a person's reputation protected by the common law, you've construed the enumerated right incorrectly, unconstitutionally. They've been putting off deciding what to do week after week since March, early March. Wow. And they were meeting today. And usually before the meeting, I get an email that says, oh, we've rescheduled it. We'll let you know the new date. I got no email. So I suspect the next time they release orders saying what new cases are we going to hear, that's going to be in the list. And, and I've talked to a couple of former clerks for the Supreme Court, and they said either Clarence Thomas and Gorsuch hate New York Times v. Sullivan. They hate that old rule. It's kind of like, this is wrong. You've wiped out an ability of essentially a private person who happened to get famous on the internet to protect their reputation, right? So they've already written concurring opinions when the court decided not to hear it. They said, we should have heard this case. We should have heard this case. So somebody told me who'd been on court, two different people said this, either Clarence Thomas and Gorsuch had been trying to cobble together the votes to say, we ought to hear this case and get rid of this or one or both of them are writing a current opinion to again say, we need to get rid of this. Mm. We now live in a digital age where people can become public figures without ever necessarily trying to be one. You see, y'all might be public figures at this point. <laughs> seriously, Sorry. seriously. So, so <laughs> anyway, I, I just thought that's interesting. Keep your eyes open. That is. Yeah, it's really um, Okay, yeah. I, I just well, realized I know nothing <laughs> about, about <laughs> like common law. I'm kind of like I got I got to brush up on common dude, law. Now. I got the book. You got it. Right. The night. Oh yeah, yeah. David Fowler. And, and if nothing else, I do open air preach on just so I can drop common law on campus, and everyone like we don't know what he's talking about. So I just need it in the back pocket. Like a Trump card, like yeah, a, yeah, like, yeah. yeah. And if you throw yeah. out common law, most stop arguing with me. Common law. I don't think most. Of them, <laughs> seriously, like, as you start running, running through common law, like that sort of thing, like what's going on in Texas, what's going on in Tennessee, like yeah. you know, that's so far out of my purview that it's like, yeah, it's I, I just don't, I, I just don't see it. So all, all of us, it's, it's great. It's great hearing. Like obviously, you know what you're talking about, but it's, it's it's great to hear legitimate conversation over like here's the breadth of what's going on, and then yeah. you realize why 98 percent of America is absolutely lost on it. Because I think of growing up in the government yeah. school. I didn't get an ounce of common law. I didn't even get the Constitution. You know what I mean? Well, let alone the backdrop to the Constitution. So here I am sitting here going, yeah, this is is amazing stuff. Trust me, you just learned more about common law in the last 15 minutes than I learned in three years of law school. So don't (laughs) go Hey, what's, okay, give us your podcast because it should be on the Fight, Laugh, Feast network. I am still working on what do we got to do to get you on the network? I want you over here so bad. Cause this should have come. This should have come out in in a breaking news yeah. from David Fowler on the Fight Left Feast Network. Yeah, that's what it should happen. But what's your podcast? Because I listen to it; it's phenomenal. And you're always doing this, and and I appreciate your work. Go ahead and give it to everybody. Hey, thank you very much. It's called God, Law, and Liberty. Available on all the platforms that you normally use to listen to podcasts, including Cross Politics. I guess we'll get it. Yeah, yeah, get on there though. We, that's yeah. what we want. Yeah. We want to. Or get you can go there. to our website, factennessee.org. 
And I post one every Friday, so awesome. you can see that in my commentary. Great yeah. stuff, appreciate it. Yeah, if you're not getting yeah. it, you're not getting informed. I'm That's just gonna heavy. tell you right now. That's heavy, thick. All right, if you're single, getting married. If you're married, have you some kids? And if you have kids, go baptize them. Until tomorrow, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Go fight, laugh, and feast. Oh, tomorrow, Gabe's out of here, and Keith Darrell is gonna sit in for him. We're gonna oh have a party God. without Gabe. <laughs> God bless. Have a good evening.